Apologies for the temporary change in backdrop, but this is your welcome to episode 13 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. Did something a little bit different today. I have two really interesting, not-so-well-known movie stories for you today, one of which is about a film that is now over 100 years old and an apparent nine-hour lost print of a film which is considered a masterpiece in its current two-and-a-half-hour form, something that um, researchers and historians have been searching for for decades. And the other is a story about a very young Quentin Tarantino and his attempts to get Reservoir Dogs off the ground and the then A-list star who was targeted for this very important role in Reservoir Dogs and it just didn't happen. So don't forget to click the like and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, all of the other audio platforms, and of course my YouTube channel, for which I have a new intro and outro for you guys. And I hope you all enjoy. And let me know what you think of my movie stories of today. The movies in question, as I say, are the 1922 film by Eric von Stroheim called Greed and Quentin Tarantino's 1991 classic Reservoir Dogs. In the annals of movie history, there are certain lost prints that collectors have been searching for, in many cases for decades, like the Magnificent Ambersons. There's even an Instagram page uh, dedicated to the search for the lost director's cut, Orson Welles' director's cut of the Magnificent Ambersons. One such other lost film is called Greed. It was a 1924 movie, silent film, made in Germany by a brilliant uh, filmmaker, Eric von Stroheim, who later worked in Hollywood as an actor and had a pretty big role in Sunset Boulevard, as some of you know. Greed was an adaptation of a book called McTeague, which had been a, a big seller in the day. And von Stroheim, for reasons known only to him, well, he wanted to do a faithful adaptation of the book. So he took the cast and he disappeared for way longer than they should have. And von Stroheim, the kind of cloak of secrecy, returned and began editing his movie and um, took him a long time to edit the movie. And he presented the film to the studio bosses, one of whom was the iconic Irving Thalberg, for whom the Thalberg Award was named after. And they started to screen the film, and Thalberg, who was familiar with the book, knew that something was off. Because the story seemed to be progressing so slowly, they were already like an hour and a half in, and based on what he knew, they were maybe 10% into the book. So Thalberg asks von Stroheim, uh, how long's your movie? Eh, just over eight hours. Eight hours! Well, needless to say... You can't release an eight-hour movie to theaters, whether it's 1924 or now. Von Stroheim had to know that. I don't know if this whole thing was, he just wanted to do one of those. I have no idea. But they took the film away from him, oh, practically over his dead body. And they cut it, then they cut it again, then they cut it again. And the version that I saw, and most film scholars saw, is about two hours and 20 minutes. And 
it's a fantastic film. Even if you don't like silent movies, you can follow it. The acting is great. Um, twelve people, apparently. Only twelve, including Thalberg and von Stroheim and a couple of the other executives there, saw the eight-hour-plus cut of Greed. There is a rumor that Mussolini had a copy. I have no idea how that's possible or whether that's true, but the fact that I read that and somebody thinks that it happened means there's still hope somewhere that maybe they'll stumble onto 47 film cans and they'll be able to rescue the movie Greed. But if you have a chance to see it, even to just check it out, a movie that was originally going to be eight hours long, it's available on streaming in a lot of different spots. Um, but it was a really good movie. And the crazy backstory. So I did a story on this, but there was a lot of reading, and I don't blame you if you checked out. It's probably better if I just kind of explain this, um, another one of those deep dives that I like to do. So sometime around 1990, a very young, super talented Quentin Tarantino wrote a screenplay for what became Reservoir Dogs. He had no means to get that script to anybody of consequence in the movie business. And nobody knew him. He was just a wacky kid who worked in a video store. And that was it. So he took a an acting class, which he found out. And the reason why he took the class is that it was given by Harvey Keitel's wife. Now, Harvey never actually showed up. But Tarantino's master plan was he would try to show Harvey's wife that he was interested in film and that he was a writer and maybe she'll take a liking to him and she'll read this script that he had written which he thought was terrific so it turned out she did like him. he's a terrible actor but she could tell that he was just different than other people that he spoke a million miles a minute but there was intelligence behind his words and he knew more about movies than anybody she had met even having been in Hollywood he just was one of those special people at that age so she agreed to look over his script, and if she felt that it was professional enough, of course she would give it to her husband. Now, Harvey Keitel's career had kind of hit the skids in the late 80s. He made a comeback in 91 with Thelma and Louise and Bugsy, for which he was nominated for Oscar, back-to-back. -back. But at this point, his name didn't carry as much weight as it would just a short time later. So Harvey Keitel, who didn't know the fuck Quentin Tarantino was, but his wife looked at the script and told him, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but I think this is fucking brilliant. Just, just check it out. Okay, sweetie, whatever. So Harvey reads the script and he is, he is floored. He can't believe that this is an unknown kid. This is the best script I've ever read. So he gets in touch with Quentin Tarantino. They meet and Tarantino is like, he's in the clouds. He can't believe this is happening. And Keitel's says words to the effect of, I'm going to help you get this made. This is extraordinary, and I'm going to make sure that you even get to direct this piece. I, I can't believe you wrote this script. I just don't even know what to say, but I'm going to do everything I can to not only get this made, get your career going. He says all the right things. And Keitel, in the course of this, what must have been an epic, wish we could be, had been a fly on the wall 1990 conversation, he said, did you write any of the parts for any actors in mind? And Tarantino said, I mean, honestly, one, I wrote Mr. Orange 
thinking of James Woods. Kaitel says, well, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Jimmy. You know, maybe I'll, I'll put in a call. Maybe we can get it to him. Now, here's the thing. Although he hasn't worked much in a long time, James Woods was actually an A-list Hollywood star at a certain point in his career, specifically this time. Late 80s, early 90s, James Woods was headlining major Hollywood films. And as such, Keitel was not really able to contact him directly. He had to go through James Woods' agent. So Harvey puts in a call to Woods' agent, and he pitches the script. This kid's a genius. I'll vouch for it myself. I'll put up money if I have to. We don't have any any money to offer James at this time, but can you give him the script? And James Woods' agent pretty much laughs Harvey Keitel off the phone. We're not looking at any scripts unless there's at least $5 million up front or some crazy amount, $3 million, whatever it was, it was a lot of money. So Woods' agent just completely dismisses Keitel's entreaties, shows him virtually no respect. Anyway, the film obviously gets made. They're able to put together, Harvey Weinstein, they're able to put together the budget and get the cast, Chris Penn, of course, Michael Madsen, Harvey Keitel in the key role of Mr. White, and instead of James Woods as Mr. Orange, which was what Tarantino was fantasizing about as he wrote the script, they went with Tim Roth, who, if we're being honest, is phenomenal as Mr. Orange in that film. He's great. Anyway, movie gets made, and it premieres at the Sundance Film Festival, where just as luck would have it, James Woods is there. Now, James Woods also does not know Quentin Tarantino. He's never heard of him. His agent never brought any of that stuff up to him. James Woods watches Reservoir Dogs, and he is gobsmacked at how brilliant this film is. And he wonders, is the kid, is he here? I'd love to meet him. Yeah, yeah, he's over there. So they he actually, they the two men meet at the 1992 Sundance Film Festival. And James Woods is effusive in his praise. I don't know how you pull this off, but I only thing I know is I want to work with you. I would love to work with you. Name the project. I'll do it for free. Whatever he says to him. And Tarantino, even at this point in his career, was very blunt. He wasn't the kind of guy that was going to bullshit anybody. And he laid it out for James Woods. He said, look, I, I listen, I'm a huge fan of yours. But I got to tell you, I wrote Mr. Orange with you in mind. And Harvey called your agent and your agent laughed him off the phone. James Woods did not know any of this, and he was so enraged in that moment that he took out his 1992 era cell phone, called his agent, fired him on the spot. And that is a deep dive into Quentin Tarantino, Harvey Keitel, Reservoir Dogs, and how James Woods did not get a part that was specifically written for him by Quentin Tarantino. Hope you enjoyed.